Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On today's episode, I am talking to the design writer and lecturer, Elizabeth Glickfeld. Elizabeth is the co-founder, along with Anna Bates, of Dirty Furniture, which is this really interesting new type of design magazine that incorporates critical essays with fiction and humor and interviews by examining what happens when, as they say, design leaves the showroom. And they do this by focusing each issue on a specific piece of furniture. She's also written for publications like I, Design Issues, and Freeze, and was a lecturer in design theory and history at Swinburne University in Melbourne, Australia. In this episode, Elizabeth and I talk about her background growing up in Australia, where she studied literature and graphic design before discovering Ellen Lupton and Abbott Miller's book, Design Writing Research, which actually led her to move to the United States so she could work with Abbott. We talk about how she started writing about design, the origins of dirty furniture, and the challenges that come along with that, and the challenges uh, with design publishing in 2017, as well as the type of design writing that she would love to see more of. I really enjoyed this conversation. I only recently discovered Dirty, dirty Furniture, but was immediately struck with how different it was from all the other design writing that's kind of happening right now and knew that I need to get Elizabeth on the podcast. So I'm so glad to have had this conversation and to share it with you. Here is my conversation with Elizabeth Glickfeld. your work as I've been immersing myself in design criticism and design writing and have been talking to more and more people and somewhere along the way I stumbled across sturdy furniture and I went back and read a lot of your archives but I don't actually know much about your background kind of beyond that and so I thought a good place to start would be just a little bit about kind of how you got into design and how you got into writing and I'm curious Specifically, you know, which one of those came first, would, uh, kind of design or, or, or writing? I, th I think it's a really, it's, you know, when people ask me these questions, I always sort of think, well, where, where do I start the story? Mm -hmm. I mean, I could sort of almost go back to high school where I sort of always flip-flop between sort of English literature and writing, mm -hmm. but I was also always in the art room. Mm -hmm. um, I started, I ended up doing undergraduates. I did two undergraduate degrees. Okay. Um, I did one, de one degree in uh, sort of English literature and, and art history. Um, and within the context of art history, I remember um, sort of there being one lecture on Neville Brody in, in a sort mm -hmm. of postmodernist unit and sort of, sort of, I guess, being immediately transfixed by that story. Um, I then, um, I just by other means ended up being employed as the editor of my university newspaper in Melbourne. Um, and because it was a position, I was sort of co-editing with a few people and none of us had any idea about design. I found myself um, sort of landed with this job of, of having to uh, design the newspaper. Mm. And that also sort of got me interested in graphic design. Um, and after, so after I, um, sort of finished my first degree, I then went and studied uh, graphic design in Melbourne. At oh, the time, wow. there was no there was no such thing as postgraduate design education in Australia at the time. Okay. Um, so my only option really was to do undergraduate 
design twice. I mean, under, an, a second undergraduate degree. Right. And then I guess, you know, I always think when you're a design student, you sort of, you know, everyone has their particular moment in being a design student. And in Australia, um, another point to make is because Australia is a very, I guess, outward looking country. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we have a colonial history and sort of um, the Indigenous past is, is quite sort of difficult. And, you know, there is that sort of what we call here a tyranny of distance. It's a very, <laughs> it's, it's I mean, it's a term in Australia, but it's um, culturally um, Australia always absorbs a lot of a lot of influences. And mm-hmm. at the time when I was a student, it, it was sort of the heyday of that sort of 1990s sort of in graphic uh, design. And there was all that sort of ferment and sort of discussions of design authorship. Right. And I, and um, you'll be interested in hearing this, I discovered a book at the time which came out by um, Abbott Miller and Ellen Lupton. Oh, yes. Writer. Um, and I ended up just from being, I guess, completely fascinated and enchanted by that book and just, I guess, the the relationship between design and writing that it sort of kind of proposed and seemed to sort of open up such a big field. I ended up interning for Abbott. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yes. So okay. I, I contacted him at the time. Um, he was still at Design Writing Research, and by the time I got to America to do it, because we had to do a year of um, industry placement as part of my design degree. Okay. Uh, it was the first year that he was partner at Pentagram. <laughs> okay. I did not know that. I, you know, you don't have, there's not much of your background online, so I completely miss that. That is hilarious, Jared is actually. Jared long time ago. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. <laughs> Uh, because, yeah. I, you know, and it's, it actually answers what my next question was going to be, because I was curious. It's interesting that you, you have this kind of first undergraduate degree in, it was in literature, you said? Yes, literature and art history. And then, and then you studied design. I was really interested in when those things started to intersect for you. And so it was kind of through design writing research or kind of discovering that, that book. I think, yeah, I think I always, I think I've sort of had a lot of, I've had a career-long interest in the design of writing and the writing of design. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and I think we all have this wish that they would intersect. I think part of the career is sort of searching for that intersection. Right. Um, but often then, as we know, that distinction between looking and reading is, is often an either-or relationship. Right. So how, yeah. did, how did you start to kind of reconcile those? Or how did those, you know, because I imagine... So, so you worked with Abbott, and then did you kind of continue a, a design practice? Um, then I, I went home to Australia, and I did continue a design practice. But because at, at um, I mean, you would know from being at design school, you know, um, at where I studied undergrad design at Swinburne University, um, there was a very good design history department. Okay. But it was always the subject that, no, that, we had to do it, but it was always the subject that, you know, all the studio practitioners found really difficult and didn't really like. But because I came from that humanities background, I was sort of the nerd who loved it. <laughs> right. um, you know, and even and when we were in studio classes in, in, in undergrad, I mean, I still remember, you know, the, the, um, the lecturers, you know, in studio classes sort of saying to the whole class, you know, everybody stop, just stop 
stop doing and think. And then they'd single me out and say, you stop thinking and start doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I know exactly that, that feeling, actually. Very different. Um, I guess I guess probably I've had an experience. I, I, I sort of feel like I really have a feeling for how different studio practitioners are from from people who would if they're very it's a very different type of student in my experience mm -hmm. you know i was going to say it's a different kind of thinking through you know you think through things by writing and, and studio practitioners think through things by making or, or whatever it is that they do and it's just um i guess it's a different thought process yeah i mean that was exactly what my my next question was going to be is i was kind of curious about having that writing background and then going to design school and then working as a designer are there things that you took from, you know, kind of studying literature that kind of helped your, your design practice or gave you a different perspective if you didn't have that writing background? Um, oh, that's a hard question. I think there, you know, when I think back, it's funny how you just always remember your undergraduate projects. There were projects which I found quite easy having had that literature or, you know, or not easy, but I found myself more able to sort of, to, I guess, work through. And in other ways, I found that there were things which a classic design student, um, you know, which I guess because they thought differently that I just felt formally there was, you know, if you're with a graphic designer, a designer who just has that sort of formal, I guess, ability and just that sort of, sense of agility and, and sort of nimbleness around a page which is you know I don't know whether you'd call it intuitive I never felt like I had you know you know I've, I've right. known the graphic designers who might find it very difficult to read but they you know they can their sense of space around a page is like a, a sort of right fifth cent you know a sixth sense yeah that's which which I don't have that that sort of you don't have that I don't think I do. Did you I feel? <laughs> did you feel? Did you? Um, I I don't know how to ask this. Did you? Did you want that, or did you feel like that was important and that you were missing something, or did you feel like kind of I what felt you? Were... Like, I felt like I was searching for it and that I could get there. Okay. Like had. If I had the core of an idea, I could eventually get there and reconcile it. But I think it made the whole process more time-consuming for me. Okay. Yeah. So when did you start writing about design, or when did those things start to come together? In that, that. When did I? Um, I think I always push, even in you know, as a. Uh, a student of design history at Swinburne. Um, mm -hmm. Most of the lecturers who I who I studied under um, in Australia are still in that department. Um, Denise Whitehouse, um, Nanette Carter. I think I always push, without realising it, I always put a lot of effort into my written assignments, even mm. back then. You know, um, without sort of realising that I was sort of putting more energy into it probably than everybody else was. Right. Um, and then I, having been, um, having worked for myself a little bit in Australia and then, um, Denise and Nanette asked me to sort of come back and, and lecture at Swinburne in design history. Um, 
I think then I thought, well, if I'm lecturing in it, I should start writing. And I, and I started writing in Australia, but I didn't really, there's not, there's not, I mean, Australia is, you know, we don't have critical mass. It's a much smaller market. Mm-hmm. And while there are a lot of uh, burgeoning things culturally happening here, there, there isn't much of a design press. So I started writing, but not really knowing where I was writing for or who I was writing for or what even I was writing for. Um, right. And I think I think I the first piece I wrote was um, which I wrote a piece on um, I guess the sort of the cultural backlash against sort of simplicity of graphic design in Australia. It was um, mm. there was a lot of the history of I guess in Australia there was this sort of uproar every every time a corporate company um, sort of rehashed their corporate identity or right. logo. There was sort of the Commonwealth Bank in Australia, which Ken Cato designed, and then BHB Billiton. Um, and then there was a whole furor over the city of Melbourne um, also redesigned their logo, and everyone would always be up in arms as, right. as to why, why the city was spending money on their corporate identity. So I, I wrote this piece sort of, I guess, analysing this sort of this prejudice against graphic design. And I think that's sort of what sort of... Um, I guess got me back into it and then of course by this time so we're talking now um i guess the mid 2000s um i was bringing design there was now postgraduate design had become a thing in this time period Mm. um in australia and i could no longer lecture without a postgraduate degree Uh, that's why i went to the royal college of art okay i mean Perfect. You just set up kind of what my next, exactly my next question. I was curious where the decision to go back to school and kind of what you were hoping to get out of that experience. So was it primarily so you could start teaching Um, or continue teaching, I I guess? I feel feel like I fell into teaching um, and I'm I'm not currently teaching at the moment, um, but I just, because I was teaching and I couldn't really get further in what I was doing. Right. Um, I just, I, I, I felt like even if I wanted to keep teaching, I had to get a postgraduate degree, but mm-hmm. then in order to, I guess, see where design writing could take me, I also needed to get a postgraduate degree. Right. Um, and I happened to, I think, um, this all happened around the same time. I, I, I would say to my, my sort of supervisors that I was, you know, always constantly interested in this relationship between design and writing. And at exactly that time, it must have been 2009 or 2010 at this point. And that was at exactly the same time when Decrit started in New York. Right. And um, someone told me they were also starting a similar course at the Royal College of Art. And I spoke to um, David Crowley, started the, the course at the Royal College oh, of yeah. Art. Um, and I contacted him and I had a Skype conversation with him and I just knew from speaking to him that that it was the right place for me. And so, so what were you hoping what were you hoping to kind of get out of that experience or, or you know because if you were, you were kind of already I don't mean for this to sound like I'm kind of challenging or antagonistic, but if you were already kind of doing a lot of writing, how, how were you hoping that, uh, kind of postgraduate program would further that interest or deepen that interest or what were you kind of looking for in that experience? 
Um, look, I think I was looking for a sense of community. Mm. Um, I felt while I was doing some writing in Australia, I wasn't doing a lot, I, but okay. I felt like I was definitely, um, I guess, operating on my own. Not that, I mean, there is, there is a flourishing design community in Australia, um, but I would say um, in, in most part, the, the sort of, there was a big emphasis on practice-based. I don't know whether you've heard of practice-based research. Yeah, But yeah. it comes more science. So that was more the emphasis okay. um, on postgraduate education in Australia, and that didn't feel like quite a good fit for me. Um, and, and I just wanted to, um, I guess, a part of the appeal of, of moving to a big city was to, I, I guess, be in a city where, there was this critical mass of, of design writing, mm -hmm. you know, whether criticism has to take place where there is this critical mass or, you know, I don't know. It's always a bit of a double bind because right. um, I guess we, we find with dirty furniture that we, we, you know, we would love local writing from, from different places, but most writers tend to gravitate towards, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm curious. I'd like to talk more about Dirty Furniture because I think it's a really interesting publication. Did that come out of your your graduate studies, or did this come after? It came so um, so the course critical writing. It's the course is critical writing in art and design. Mm -hmm. We were the first graduating year. Um, okay. Our class sort of fourteen or fifteen people. Um, of those 14 or 15 people, there are about four, four or five of us who were focused on, on sort of design and architecture. Everybody else was focused on art and Dirty Furniture um, came out of that program when three of us from the course got together and decided we wanted to produce a publication that was design writing oriented. And how do you, you know, just kind of for for the listeners or for people who are not familiar with it, how do you describe the magazine or the publication or what's kind of that, that pitch for, or for what it is? Um, well, our tagline, it's a, a finite collectible series of six issues. Our strap line is when design leaves the showroom. Um, and each issue takes the theme of a piece of furniture. And we use that that piece of furniture is a springboard to explore a lot of different sort of topics. So ranging from design to manufacturing, to psychology, to history. Right. Um, I get, I guess it's about, you know, finding a world in an object. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, that's kind of what I'm, I'm really curious to talk, talk to you about because that's what I, and that's what I love about dirty furniture. The first, actually I, I kind of, found out about the magazine before I consciously realized what it was because I had read Alexandra Lang's piece uh, yeah. on tables and power, which uh, I think was m maybe the first or second issue. The table issue. And I just thought that was such a, I mean, I, I love Alexandra and I've talked to her for the podcast and read everything that she writes, but I really loved that piece because it was a little bit different than what she normally yeah. normally writes and and I think that's kind of indicative of, of the publication and that you're using these objects to talk about larger issues 
um, yeah. you know, whether that's politics or, or power relations or, you know, technology or something. I'm curious kind of how you think about the that kind of editorial direction and using, you know, essentially material culture to kind of tell us about, you know, the contemporary condition, I guess. I, I think editorially we really try to work from the specific towards the general rather than okay. from the general towards the, the specific. So um, it's, it's like working from that very small detail, um, right? I guess, outwards into the world rather than the other way around. Um, I guess one of my favourite, you know, when people say something and you wish you'd said it yourself, <laughs> um, uh, Rob Alderson, who is the... Uh, used to be the editor of a magazine called It's Nice That. Oh, yeah. You... Yeah. So he, um, I heard him say once that the best editors are, are both parachutists and truffle hunters. Okay. And I, and I, and I, th- and I think, and I think that really encapsulates what I guess we try to do with dirty furniture. On the one hand, sort of presenting this macro view of the object, but then on the on the other hand, sort of pulling back and having that sort of you know, overarch, overarching perspective. You mm-hmm. know, how many different ways can we look at this object? Um, you know, in yeah. what relationships can we trust it? Um, yeah. So I think that's what we try to do. I think that's really interesting and because I feel like that's become one of the big recurring themes of of this podcast and, and something that comes up again and again when I talk to different people about how, you know, especially in regards to graphic design, so much of it uh, is very, so much graphic design writing is, can often be just kind of superficial or kind of surface level and, and doesn't, you know, maybe look at the context from, from which it was created. And so you had mentioned earlier, a bank redesigns their logo and, and often a lot of the discussion about it is that it's, you know, been simplified or they changed the color or they current these letters a little bit differently, but you know, less talked about are the, you know, the politics or the economics or the cultural conditions that maybe prompted that, that logo redesign or, or the process behind that. And so I'm, I'm curious kind of how, how those types of things fit into the magazine um, or, or is this a thing that could kind of go further and expand beyond even, you know, kind of furniture as a framework? I think, I think, look, a lot of people ask us why are we only, because we've said from the outset we will only publish six issues of right. these furniture. And people often ask us why. And, and I guess the reason is, is because dirty furniture itself, it's furniture, it's print, you know, there's a set of parameters we've set up. And the reason we're only doing six is because we might be developing a pro- an approach, but there's no saying that that approach can't be applied to, you know, other media, right? you know, yeah. and other things. So I guess we are developing an editorial approach. Um, and it's, yeah, it's not solely tied to furniture. Um, I, th- I think also with, you know, design processes are very mysterious to people who who don't come from design. Yeah. You know, and especially graphic design. I mean, people really have 
you know, when you're dealing, when you're trying to explain graphic designers to non-design, you know, the, the process mm -hmm. of graphic design to non-designers, it's, it's a, I mean, they, they really don't, I mean, they're often interested, but they really don't know. Yeah. I, I'm curious kind of how you think about the, uh, your audience for, for both Dirty Furniture and then also your other, other writing that you do. And I, I guess I'm going to have a series of questions that I'm just going to throw at you kind of all at once and you can answer whatever part you're interested in. Um, but I'm interested in, in kind of who the audience of Dirty Furniture is, if you have any sense of that and, and the types of people that are reading it. But then on the flip side, I'm, I'm curious about how you write about something like a design process for an audience that potentially doesn't know anything about it. Um, so there's two questions there. Yeah. Um, the audience of Dirty Furniture, I think what's become really interesting is, is when we started, perhaps naively, we, we sort of, I guess, delineated two camps. One, people who might not know about design. So mm. um, it was a way of, I guess, pointing to design where people who don't come from the design industry might be able to discover it and understand more about it. And B, um, we sort of thought the magazine would be for designers or people in the design industry themselves. I think where what we're discovering, um, I guess, through the publication of it is that they are two very different readerships. Um, and I think that's, that's sort of what's interesting because, you know, I, look, it's very hard to pinpoint, but the articles that we have published, which generally tend to stimulate designers are very different from the ones yeah people who don't know about design yeah i was curious how you so it's is it does it seem like it's an article by article kind of split because i'm something that i'm very fascinated by and, and something that i i feel like i talk to a lot of people about is how you how you write about design for a general audience without it for a general audience while keeping it interesting for the profession itself? I think it's, re I think it's really difficult. Yeah. I, and I, I don't, it's something we're exploring and okay. I, I, I'm not sure I have, I mean, do you have thoughts about that? I don't have an answer for no, it. No, I don't. I think that's why I probably keep asking people because <laughs> I haven't found a good, a good answer. I think, you know, the best. I mean, I, I can tell you that the, the the one piece that we have published, which which designers always point to as being the one that they like the most in Dirty Furniture, and we would never have expected this. Um, one of the things we do in Dirty Furniture is we try to get, um, I guess, people from other disciplines, mm -hmm. so not from design, to write a design piece. So um, so for the table issue, we, we thought, you know, what would happen if we got a philosopher to write about mm -hmm. tables? Mm hmm um, and we approached Federico Campagna, who is um, who is sort of quite a well-known philosopher in the sort of, um, I guess, Italian anarchist tradition. And we sort of gave him carte blanche to write. I mean, we just we asked him that question, you know, how would you write a piece about tables? Um, and that piece is the one that designers, people in the industry point to as being... Um, huh the one that they find the most sort of interesting and inspiring. Um, I guess maybe designers want to be in 
look, I don't know. Maybe designers want to be spoken to in a way that will stimulate their practice. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of, that was something I've, I've been wrestling with myself is kind of what is the relationship or what is the, um, where does design writing or design criticism sit in relation to practice? And is it, is it written so it can stimulate practice or change practice or deepen practice? Or is it a, kind of a reflection? Or is it for a, is it not for the profession? And is it for an audience of the people who are kind of consuming the work of design? And I think that's a really interesting question also is kind of where the critic or the writer sits in relationship to these things. I think it needs to be both. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, they're really difficult questions you're asking and I don't. I mean, there's yeah. also the issue of, um, because I think with dirty furniture and I don't, you know, we, there is also, the, the, I guess, the academic realm of design. Mm -hmm. And that's also another very different sort of right. readership. Right. Um, you know, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I realize that I'm asking these kind of very hard questions. I'm not asking for, you know, <laughs> the, has, has the answer. Open to offered some interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think. I, I think the general consensus is exactly what you're saying in that there's this kind of scale and kind of general audience and practitioner are are kind of two sides of the scale and that you kind of have to pivot between both of them. Um, and that uh, criticism that's for the profession and deepens the profession will in an ideal world naturally filter out to a general audience. And so if, if people are writing about design at a very deep philosophical theoretical level, that could in turn make the consumers of design more visually literate or kind of culturally understand these things as not just decoration, hopefully, ideally. Yeah. I'm, and, you know, you mentioned something else that I just I kind of want to pull out for a second before I forget it about there's also the kind of academic side of all of this also. And something I noticed, I was just before we started talking, I was looking at the Dirty Furniture site and looking at the table of contents of of each of the issues. And I was struck by how there were pieces that were kind of labeled labeled humor and fiction and interviews and that you kind of have these different types of writing all within the issue and something I, another thing that I've been thinking about a lot is how so much of design writing is very similar and you don't see a lot of fiction you know talking about design or or even humor how do you think about that or kind of bringing in different writing styles to talk about these things um we think about it very consciously um i think one of the things look one of the point of the points of the critical writing course at the royal college of art is that it is a department separate from and distinct from um what is a very good department in design history mm -hmm. um so obviously design history has its own its own place there is a certain rigor to sort of research methods and ways of writing um but in the space of critical writing, you know, it's it's sort of it seems weird that you know so much of discussion about design and and 
designing objects and graphic design and practice is is about this relationship between form and function mm-hmm. and that in the canon of design writing there's there seems to be so much scope between you know a the relationship between i guess the meaning you want to achieve and i guess the you know like the semantic meaning and i guess the genre of writing that you're you're writing in right and and then i guess on top of that you've, you've got the, the visual aspect of the writing mm-hmm. um and i guess if you jostle between those conventions that's where the um you know of those sort of three you know the visuality right. of the text the you know the, the narrative conventions of the text and the meaning i guess i guess that's where the spaces of interest sort of open up and and we we do very consciously consider those in the publishing of dirty furniture you know we'll often try and get um, a writer to write in a, in, a, in a different narrative voice than they usually do. So um, I guess in our third issue, in the toilet issue, we, we got a, um, a quite a well-known architecture critic, um, Owen Hathaway, um, who usually oh, yeah. writes in quite a, quite a polemical way. And we asked him to write in first person um, <laughs> from a personal point of view. Um, and he wrote a piece about the decline of the public toilet um, in England um, from the perspective of the fact that he has Crohn's disease and needs to use a toilet all the time. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so I guess we very consciously sort of do those experiments of, you know, what would happen if, if we got that polemical writer to write in first person. Yeah. Personal point of view, you know. Yeah, as they some... Those experiments, but, you know, I mean, that's but that's that's the space that Dirty Furniture tries to create. Yeah, that, that leads into... You've, you've again kind of set up my next question for me, but as someone who is publishing a magazine or, or, you know, publishing these kind of six issues with these different types of writing and as someone who has written for a lot of other design publications, I'm interested in in both the types of writing that you would like to see more of in the general design discourse, but then also the types of topics that you would like to see more people talking about or writing about and how, you know, maybe how dirty furniture is kind of filling some of those just for your kind of selfish reasons. Um, I think, look, I think we'd like to see more long form writing, you know, anyone from, you know, any subject area in publishing, you know, long, long form writing is, is long form writing. And I guess slow, you know, what would be known as slow, slow writing or slow journalism. I guess that's the space that we're sort of, you know, trying to create. Um, I guess because with the web, everything is so instantaneous to actually, you know, publish writing that's sort of, you know, and then I guess, you know, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but, you know, one of the questions we get asked, I mean, the the average, the guideline for the length of our features is 2,000 words, you okay. know. We'll sometimes publish one that's a bit more. We'll often publish one that is closer to 3,000 words. But then, I mean, any any writer knows that that's, that's a really big ask to write. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not a six, 600 to 800 word web review. And then, and that, and that's where you get down to the, um, I guess, the economics of it, you know. Right. Because, you know, and we we certainly don't have a solution to the economics of it because 
you know, we we don't think we pay our writers enough. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, you know, that, that resonates with me a lot because I feel like when I started this project, I just kind of had this loose sense that we needed more design criticism or more people talking about design or more design writers. And as I've actually really spent time thinking about it, talking to people about it, I realized that that's not actually what I'm interested in, that there's actually more people talking about design than kind of basically ever before in history. And that, you know, anybody when a, to, to, you know, come back to this example, when, when the bank redesigns their logo, anyone can jump on Twitter and, and write their initial thoughts that what I'm actually yeah. interested in is that kind of slow, long form design writing. Yeah. Um, but I guess the issue is, is that we, we no longer live in a society right. where it's, it's the cost of labor, you yeah. know, and, you know, I mean, we, I mean, I approached a writer a few weeks ago and she said, I would really love to write a feature for your magazine, but what you're asking will take me three weeks huh. and, you know, at least three weeks. Um, and she said, I just, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and I, I completely, I completely understand that, you know, and, and as a writer, we're all as writers, you know, I mean, I am an editor, but you know, I'm also a writer. We're all in the, in the same position. Right. Yeah. We, you know, the, the labor of writing is, is just not compensated in these economic conditions. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that type of writing is possible? And, and the reason that I ask that is because I'm thinking about how much, how much of design writing is coming from within the design profession also, and that a lot, not all of it, but a lot of it is coming from designers who are also just kind of, you know, writing in their free time. Is there actually a possibility and kind of, is it economically viable to sustain long form critical design writing? Um, I don't I mean that. That sounded really dark. Also, I apologize. But I think I look. I think it's. I think it's. It's. It's definitely a, a valid question. And 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 you know, I think I should. I you know, I would like to be clear and transparent at this point and say, you know, we find a way for dirty furniture to sustain itself. But mm -hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't pay us a huge salary. We all have to have other jobs to keep it going. Right. Um, and I think we do need to be transparent about these things. Otherwise. You know, we're when you know we we can't critique the system that is is sort of become the reality in the sort of publishing industry, right? Um, but and I also think this another thing which you mentioned that idea of um, you know this very notion of if you are a writer you have to be a writer in your free time. Yeah. Um, I think that is the norm for you know. For a lot of people, that sort of sense that, that that you write, you know, yeah, around the periphery of your life, um, is a reality for a lot of people. Not for everyone, right? Um, but yeah. yeah, for a lot, it is. How I, I get, you know, I'm curious. Do you do you do any design work now, or do you consider yourself primarily a writer? I don't. I do, I don't do any design work now. Okay. Um, not not because I don't want to. Uh, I think just because of the time commitment. Right. Yeah. And I'm not quick at it. Um, you know, and I enjoy I enjoy I enjoy the process of working with graphic designers. That's, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I really the reason I ask is because I wanted to ask a flip to a question that I asked earlier to kind of start to, to wrap this up a little bit. But I was curious, earlier I had asked if how kind of being a writer maybe influenced your design process early on. I'm interested now, kind of on the other side of that, did your work as a designer, do you think that that has any effect on how you think about your writing or your writing process? Um, I think it definitely, I don't know whether, oh, I've got a few things I can, a few tangents I can go off okay, on here. Go for it. Okay. So number one, one thing I found really interesting about comparing being at design school as a, as a design student versus being, um, I guess in a writing course was there was a very stark contrast to me about the way um, the way people critique work. It always seemed to me that in a design school, the second something that was up on the wall, there was no assumption of sort of some sensitive relationship between the designer and his work and everyone was just objectively trying to, I guess, you know, that, that traditional model of, of the, the architecture or design crit is, you know, I mean, the, the very tough model is, you know, you pin the work up on the wall and it's 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 open season for, mm-hmm. you know, right. critique, and, you know, which is the best idea. And being in a writing course, I found that there was, I guess, this presumption of sort of this sort of sensitive relationship between the writer and his or her work. Right. There was much more of a sense of having to... Um, I guess, I guess there was, I, maybe it's a sense, a sense of authorship. Right. Sort of behind. Yeah. Um, so I think that is sort of one difference. Um, I forgot what question I was answering. Um, <laughs> how, <laughs> how your design background has influenced your oh, writing or your um, writing process? I think my, I don't know whether it influences my writing process. Um, it might in terms of probably in the process before I start writing, like trying to think conceptually about um, how to structure a piece or what voice a piece should be in or mm. I guess what the concept, you know, behind the piece is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find with writing that... Um, I, and I and I think I write in probably not a very efficient way. I think that Sadie Smith has sort of said that there are two kinds of writers: the writers who sort of, you know, write a plan and map everything out in their sketchbook and then write to it, and that other person who sort of searches for the beginning for that thread and then sort of and sort of goes along it. And, right. and I would fit into that sort of second category. Okay. You know? Yeah. God help you if you can't find that thread. Right. Um, so I, I guess when I write, there's almost a sense of not knowing what I'm writing about, mm-hmm. but sort of having this sort of, I guess, inner conviction once you find that thread that you have to keep following it. Right. Um, with, yeah. And, but I would say that my experience in graphic design has definitely helped or influenced the way I work with designers in producing a publication okay i guess sort of understanding that sort of process and and 
and I guess I'm more open in 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 the role that designers can play in visualizing the writing. Just to kind of start to you know to to wrap things up a little bit, I'm. You had mentioned earlier that you kind of came to design criticism or design writing during that kind of '90s kind of critical theory boom, and and you know now. And then you were also kind of talking about how in Australia there wasn't much of a design discourse. And, you know, now we're kind of talking about how there's like a lot of people talking about design, but, but you know, long form isn't really sustainable. And kind of how do we, how do we manage or navigate that? I'm interested in just, you know, your kind of, I'd like to hear what you think about just the kind of general contemporary discourse around design and 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 kind of the state of that and how that's you know kind of what you what you enjoy about it and also kind of what what you're frustrated by um oh that's a hard question and we've hit on like some of these things throughout but i was just kind of curious as like an overarching thought um I guess I guess what interests me at the moment, but this I mean this is also this is not this is also I guess just where I am because of my age and my career. Oh yeah, um, that's that's great too. Yeah, so I guess like you know when you're when you're a design student, you know you go through a period where you know you're just like greedy for you know any design book, and yeah. then you go through a period where you're looking for things that aren't design related, which can sort of influence what you're thinking about. Yeah, and um. And I guess things which interest me at the moment are things which I guess I guess bring sort of I guess images and words into sort of a new relationship that I haven't thought about or objects and words mm. into a new relationship. I mean I think Kenya Hara and um yeah. Andrea did a an exhibition at Milan two years ago called uh One Hundred Verbs New Prehistory. Oh, okay. And I don't I, think I know this. So they got a hundred artifacts and they matched each artifact to a different verb. Oh, and I, I vaguely of, remember this. Yeah, the whole of... And I, and I just thought it sort of, I guess, really sort of opened up um, opportunities for, you know, you have, you know, the relationship of exhibition text to the to the artifact. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the text really sort of... You know, I think for one of them they had like a um it was something from Hiroshima, it was like a a, a missile or something and, and the verb they put to it was to despair. Mm. Um and I just thought that it just sort of opened up this sort of I guess area for um this relationship between language and object and um and I guess, you know, that in dirty furniture we sort of I don't think we've we've done it enough, but we definitely sort of like to do it more. And yeah. I think, um, yeah, yeah, that's um, great. My last question is: I'm 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 very curious to hear who are the the writers that have really influenced you, or the writers you've returned to again and again, or the people that you know you're kind of look to for for guidance in in your own work as a as a writer about design? 
Oh, I think it changes. Um, <laughs> yeah. There are, there are so many, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, I came of age as a designer in the sort of heyday of iMagazine, so mm -hmm. you'd have to be Rick Pointer yeah. because I guess he started New Territory. But then someone like, um, you know, Judith Williamson, mm, who sort of yeah. did some fantastic films in, you know, yeah. which was, I mean, they were completely design-related and sort of just sat in sort of, um, you know. Yeah. I think those writers who managed to write about design but it, but sort of in the popular press where it's, ostensibly not even right. labeled as being a design right um yeah i mean i love that i feel that that's been something that's also just come up again and again is that oftentimes some of the best design writing is has like reached a level of cultural consciousness that it almost we almost miss that it even is about design at all and that's something that's really interesting to me and so yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying I think they're the writers who most inspire me. Those writers who probably wouldn't even call themselves design writers. Yeah, yeah. But that what they're writing about is 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 design. Right. Um, and that you know that sort of, I guess, sort of seamlessly integrate into the popular press. Um, mm -hmm. But then you look back on them, and there's this body of work which is basically a body of design writing. Right. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. This was so fun and interesting to me thank you so much for for talking i'm a big fan i'm a big fan of your writing i i love what you're doing with dirty furniture and this i think um this was such a great conversation and great addition to the podcast so thank you so much it's my pleasure this episode was recorded on july 24th 2017 our theme music is by andy borgasani we're on twitter and instagram at surface podcast you can find us on apple podcasts and soundcloud and at scratching the surface.fm thanks for listening